You are listening to episode 41 of the EU Startups podcast. Today's guest is Alex Pavlo, partner at RTP Global, which is a leading VC firm focused on early stage tech companies. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the EU Startups Podcast. And before we jump into the interview with today's guest, I'm excited to introduce our podcast sponsor. This episode of the EU Startups Podcast is brought to you by Vanta, helping you scale security practices and automate compliance for the industry's most sought-after standards. To close and grow major customers, you have to demonstrate trust. But providing your security and compliance can be time-consuming tedious and expensive, especially for startups, unless you use Vanta. Vanta automates up to 90% of the work for the most thought-after compliance standards like SOC2 and ISO 27001 and gets you audit-ready in weeks instead of months. With Vanta, you get up to 400 hours of your time back and reach up to 85% in cost savings. And for a limited time, EU Startups listeners get $1,000 off Vanta. Just go to vanta.com forward slash EU Startups without a dash to get started. Today I'm excited to interview Alex Pavlo, who is the partner at the early stage tech VC firm RTP Global. Headquartered in London, RTP Global has already invested in many of Europe's most promising scale-ups, and earlier this summer, the firm also announced the launch of a new fund worth $1 billion. Alex, thank you so much for taking the time, and welcome to the EU Startups Podcast. Thanks for having me, Thomas. Awesome. So let's start at the very beginning. Could you give us a brief background of your personal journey that led you to your current role at RTP Global? Sure, absolutely. It will be a, a very easy and short one. So I joined RTP back in 2008, straight out of my master's um, graduation. And to be very honest with you, uh, back then, the sector as a whole, technology investments, uh, VC in Europe was a much smaller space. So when I came to the first interview, I couldn't tell the difference between VC and PE. So I can say that um, I was quite lucky to end up um, in the in the whole kind of venture world back when it was at the stage of really starting to boom in Europe. Mm -hmm. And then um, uh, after spending some years just learning the basics of the business, around 2011, when RTP made uh, this huge push to building our presence across uh, Europe, Asia, and US, um, uh, because we were a very small team, myself and some of my other uh, colleagues were guided with trying to help the firm understand the markets where we could uh, start investing. And that's uh, that's how I started to travel across the world and, and analyzing different markets. Um, and that's how I ended up um, doing some initial work in Southeast Asia back in 2011, 2012 and also started looking actively in the European market approximately at the same time. And then, look, uh, then it's uh, it was a very fast-paced uh, run, I would say. 
mm-hmm. where we, we have done a lot of investments and obviously some of them were quite successful, which allowed us to scale the platform and uh, give us the opportunity uh, to launch the fund that, as you mentioned, we just announced in the end of June. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. You just mentioned uh, Southeast Asia and Europe there. You you played a crucial role in the expansion of RTP Global in those regions. Uh, how would you say those regions differ from each other? And what were some of the challenges um, that you uh, came across while investing in those regions? Well, it was, uh, it was always a team effort. And uh, because we, back then, we were a team of uh, four people doing the investments, um, so it was always a very, you know, collaborative work uh, mm-hmm. versus now it is a much broader team. But look, it was very interesting. Yeah. Um, when we first came to Southeast Asia, uh, there were there were two pillars to that. So we did India and Southeast Asia. So one of my partners went to do the Indian piece. I went to do the Southeast Asia. What mm-hmm. was extremely exciting and interesting to me back then was that you went into those geographies and you will see the patterns uh, that I thought would enable to create large consumer businesses, primarily consumer, because back then, most of the things that we did as a firm that I focused on were in B2C business models. And then mm-hmm. what you would see over there, you would see extremely large cities, extremely populated and dense, which were very well suited for all of this, you know, e-commerce models or uh, food delivery models or, or transportation models. Um, and that's what we saw over there. At mm-hmm. the same time, what we saw is that there was a huge influx of entrepreneurs coming back to their home markets after having studied in Europe or US because they saw the emergence of technology sector and wanted to come back and build something. And so you would see the people who would have this great education, who have been working with some of the uh, large enterprises in in US or Europe going back and thinking about starting something new. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one. On the other hand, obviously, obviously, the infrastructure for building all of those businesses was non-existent. So payments, logistics, infrastructure was just not there. And I'm not even talking about the basic uh, technology infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So those challenges have had to be solved and they were successfully solved over there. Mm-hmm. Um, this goes on top of the questions with uh, corporate governance, especially in the markets like uh, Vietnam and India, where mm-hmm. the whole legal structure is a quite a complex topic. And obviously, investing there, especially back, back 10, 10 or 12 years back, you should think about, okay, how my rights as shareholders would be protected. And this is a very big topic. Mm-hmm. Versus Europe, where those topics are frankly non-existent. But I think that if we compare the two and answering your question, what are the main differences? I think one of the main differences is just um, uh, entrepreneur attitude. Um, so in Asia, and we see it actually more and more even now, the attitude of the people working, the speed of change, the speed of the execution, just the amount of time that we work is unprecedented. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can call them every minute of um, night and day, um, if there is some legislation change, if there is some funding challenges with the startups, you can see them execute the whole business model change or rebuilding the organization in a matter of weeks. Mm-hmm. It's very rare to see that in Europe. Um, only some of the companies, and obviously we do have a lot of great companies in Europe, were able to do it. But when I'm looking into the Asian ecosystem, I see it across the board. In Europe, I see it only with a with a subset of the companies but look ultimately it was great to just see the emergence of the of both of the ecosystems and uh, being able to compare them 
one to each other. Mm-hmm. Frankly, now is the most interesting part um, because what we see now is that when we started uh, back in 2011, most of the ideas of new businesses were coming from US to Europe or to Asia. Mm-hmm. I think this has changed dramatically over the course of the last five years. And we are seeing more and more ideas coming from Asia or coming to Europe and finding their ways to the other markets. And the, ob- the obvious kind of big example is WeChat and how a lot of the companies are uh, taking the, ex- the aspiration out of there. Mm-hmm. But um, also in, in India, I think a lot of very interesting model- models are currently emerging. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Very good. Uh, you already mentioned some uh, industries there um, where RTP, RTP has been investing in. Um, but for listeners who are not so aware of your investment focus, um, can you give us a brief um, intro of what kind of business stages you usually look at, uh, what kind of industries, geographies, um, and has the uh, investment focus changed over the years? Yes. Let me let me start with uh, giving you a bit of the status quo and go backwards. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what RTP is today is essentially uh, how we think about ourselves as a global VC firm with offices in uh, three parts of the world. This is Europe, where we have the headquarters in London, plus offices in Paris and Amsterdam. Then mm-hmm. Asia, where we have the investment team in Bangalore and uh, uh, Dubai, and US, where we have an office in New York. And this this kind of coverage gives you a good overview of how we operate. So we have essentially three investment teams across uh, each of the regions. Each investment team is approximately um, eight to 10 people. Mm-hmm. And each of the investment teams is basically focused on, on their own region. At the same time, while we have this regional investment teams, when we do the deals, we actually all come together and discuss all those deals together. So that gives us a better sense of... Uh, how the markets are developing and I think it's one of the competitive advantages of ours because we really try to take a global look into the companies we invest in and subsequently to our investment how we work with them. Mm-hmm. So this is the view today. Each of the geographies is able to define their own sectoral focus. So if you look into Europe, we think about ourselves as more of the generalist, although looking into the investments we have been doing over the course of the last uh, three to four years, I think 50% of those is fintech, approximately 25% is enterprise software, maybe 20% is uh, uh, consumer and then everything else. Mm-hmm. It is quite different to US where 100% of what they're doing is enterprise software. Mm-hmm. In Asia, a lot of the focus is on local specific business models, which we have had great successes over the years. So companies that build on the business models that do not exist in other parts of the world, but rather cater to the uh, local uh, specifics. So that's what we do now. At mm-hmm. the same time, the stages we invest are the same. And this is important because otherwise it's very hard for us to, to operate this uh, single fund model. So the stages, primarily Series A, we invest anywhere from six to $15 million initial ticket try to take an active position in the company. So get an ownership anywhere from 10 to ideally 20%, not Mm -hmm. always possible. Uh, Try to be active on the board or in any other capacity that is good for the company. Mm -hmm. At the same time, we have a pretty sizable seed portfolio. So anywhere investments, anywhere from two to 5 million um, that essentially we think about as nurturing for the for the series A investments. And this has been broadly the case for the last five years of what we have been doing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, although the team setup has significantly changed because all of the setup that I that I told you about, and today the team in total is 40 people and approximately 20 people, as I mentioned, in uh, investment roles. We build the setup with the uh, multiple local offices over the course of the last uh, two years, essentially, as the pandemic started, we, we pushed heavily into this. Mm-hmm. And this setup is pretty new. Uh, but the focus that we have been doing, it was always early stage investments uh, and always pretty broad in terms of sectoral coverage. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And uh, when it comes to geographies, I heard that you are quite bullish on the uh, Armenian uh, startup ecosystem, actually. Um, what unique opportunities do you see in Armenia and what do you think it makes Armenia an attractive place for founders and investors in the future? Yes, absolutely. So we have uh, started to invest in that market in late 2020. Mm-hmm. And frankly, it was uh, not something that was planned. It was out of pure luck. One of the segments that I'm quite passionate about is voice technologies. So mm-hmm. everything related to voice is one of the uh, broadest used medium of our communication. And I came across the company called Crisp, which is essentially a, a voice productivity AI company. Mm-hmm. which started with the product of uh, noise cancellation. And if you think about it, if you look back in 2020, we all were forced to uh, to change our working behavior, work from home and so on and so forth. And so that product was like a magic because it allowed you to, uh, to do your work in full capacity without being distracted or without having your uh, people you talk to uh, distracted by the background kind of noises and voices that you had. Mm-hmm. Um, I traveled to I traveled to Armenia and was pretty astonished by several factors. So first of all, Armenia historically within USSR borders was one of the largest tech hubs. Well, back mm-hmm. then it was not called tech hubs. Back then it was called the uh, uh, National Research Centers. It was one of the one of the uh, five centers on the territory of the of the former Soviet Union. So that meant that you build a huge uh, technology base, especially in areas of machine learning mm-hmm. uh, and statistical models. So uh, this is one. Now, on the other hand, it's a very close market. It's the the country itself is quite small. Yeah. So you are thinking like a limited number of people, meaning that when when founders are building the companies over there, they need to think externally. So they need to thank Europe. They need to thank USC. They, they cannot build their products for internal needs. And um, ultimately, what has happened is several companies like Pixar and like Service Titan, which are currently multi-billion dollar companies, paved the way how and created the framework on how Armenian companies can leverage their development base in Armenia to build sizable businesses in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So both of those companies have very large development offices and some of the founders based in, based in Armenia, but obviously their core customer base is in the U.S. And by doing so, they also started to help and mentor and give the understanding to, to entrepreneurs in the market on how to actually build across the same frameworks. And the framework is now more or less very standardized. So you, the founders launch the businesses in Armenia very, very, um, uh, very fast. They start to look for their customers in the U.S. And the mm-hmm. whole setup is already there because now you have 10, 15 companies that have, that have done it pretty successfully. Now you leverage a hugely, um, hugely relevant and hugely experienced technical talent 
at the magnitude that you cannot get in other markets unless you pay unbelievably high salaries. Mm-hmm. And frankly, it is quite impossible if you are an early stage company. So this is a competitive advantage that they have. You can build up a team on 10, 15 AI researchers when you're a seed stage startup. I don't know many other markets when you can do the same. And because of this um, extremely, uh, extremely good education, frankly, that they get, the quality of the products on the tech level, and I'm talking about quite deep technologies across primarily machine learning and AI, um, is very high. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, one of the one of the qualities of the people in Armenia is such that they help each other a lot. So it's very important for them as a whole to promote Armenia as an ecosystem. So when you have this great cases of Pixar and Service Titan, they contribute back. They contribute back and that make sure that the people who are starting the business can leverage certain resources that they have been able to create. And mm-hmm. this helps to promote the ecosystem. And this is only, frankly, possible when the ecosystem is small. You cannot do it in the UK. You cannot do it in Germany. But when you're having a pretty small market, and I think the, the recent figures is that there are approximately 30,000 professionals in the IT sector in Armenia, this mm-hmm. is possible. And we see that this is working quite well. Ultimately, uh, giving you a maybe a TLDR read on that, with the development of certain sectors that we are, we are seeing now, especially in creator tool economy, in uh, AI space, you need technical talent. And you need a lot of technical talent because unless you build strong technical products, the thin layer products are not sustainable in the long term. And for that, you need smart people and you need a lot of them. And Armenia provides a very good foundation to build on that and Mm -hmm. plus the success stories of certain companies coming out of there in the course of the next few years would lead to a lot of entrepreneurs coming out of them just to start their own businesses for the second time Mm -hmm. okay wow that sounds very promising (laughs) to to be very frank i didn't have armenia on my radar so far um, when it comes to startups but uh, definitely sounds like a place that uh, needs to be watched. Uh, I assume that one of the mm, challenges uh, that startups face in Armenia is probably access to capital at this point, right? Um, do you see um, an increasing interest of uh, also other VCs, investors in Armenia? Or um, do you think it's kind of still like a um, like a secret, um, uh, a secret that, that this is a good place to find um, promising founders and startups? Well, the situation with capital, if you ask me, is the following. Um, it's relatively easy to raise your first money, several thousand, several thousand hundred dollars. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So up to a million, you can do it relatively easy. Now, as I, as I mentioned, there is a framework of what you can do in terms of raising capital externally. So there are a bunch of funds like RTP, like Sierra, like Storm, like AI Fund, who actually do invest in Armenia startups on the um, on the seed stage. Yeah, mm-hmm. When the company passes the seed, raising Series A is easy to some extent if you are a good business because your customer base by default will be in, uh, in uh, either US or Europe. Yeah? The seed uh, pocket needs to be, and I'm talking about seeds that are anywhere from, let's say, one to three million. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is where the ecosystem can benefit. And this is where we're working closely with the founders to, to help out create certain um, startups that, that would solve for them. I think it is still a hidden gem. 
So I think if you ask the people, like, do you know Pixar? Do you know Service Titan? Do you know Disco? Do you know um, uh, Chris? They will say, yes, of course we know. Mm-hmm. When you say, do you know that this company is Armenian? They will say, hmm, I never thought about it. Mm-hmm. True. Okay, good point. All right, let's um, maybe um, swift back a bit to investing in general. Um, can you um, share with our audience um, some of the specific criteria or um, or traits that you're looking in uh, uh, when it comes to founding teams, when you're looking for evaluating them for potential investment? Like, what are kind of um, the the traits that you um, that you aim to spot, and what are kind of the red flags uh, that uh, make you decide not to invest? Yeah, absolutely. Look, um, I'm a bit afraid not to be, uh, not, not, not to give something valuable here because mm-hmm. so, so many things have been told, but let me try. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think one of the, and this is very, very personal. And first of all, when I think, uh, when I think about a question, let me revert it, uh, reverse it a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think every individual investor, and I'm not talking about the firm, I'm talking about individual investor. Uh, the goal of the individual investor is to find what is your strengths and what's your weaknesses in terms of spotting founders. Mm-hmm. And um, the ones who who are able to do it are extremely successful. But for example, I can tell that I'm good in evaluating some businesses, but I'm absolutely awful in evaluating the other businesses. And frankly, my evaluation is in no way a testament of a, whether a business is good or, or not. So I will talk about my personal ways of evaluating the businesses based on what I believe I do well. Mm-hmm. And to that extent, uh, I think several several things stand apart. First of all, it's uh, the ability to articulate the vision quite clearly. What I mean by that is when you talk to the different types of the founders, some of them have this unique ability, even in a very... Um, very technically uh, hard market or technically very hard to technically understand it to be able to paint a picture of how the world will change and how the industry will change and what role their company will be playing in that change. And they can do it from a relatively early stages. So I'm talking about maybe seed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, And they have this clarity that more or less when you go out of the meetings, you are able, like the picture is more or less there. What you need to do then is you just need to make sure that like, it goes in line with the general perspective of how things are and not a, uh, not just a dream that cannot be fulfilled, but it gives a lot of comfort and confidence when the explanation is clear and easy. Mm-hmm. The second thing that I, uh, especially in the current environment, start to look into very, very closely, I want to see decisiveness in reaction to the changing macro environment or any environment, frankly, funding environment, environment of a given company in terms of their uh, capital access. What I mean by that is I think that really great founders, they more or less very early spot on the challenges in front of them and they're willing to react swiftly and decisively, however painful it is, mm-hmm. rather than waiting and relying on circumstances or shareholder financing or something else to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this quality is very important for long-term um, sustainability of the businesses because if you ask me, I just don't believe that you can build a great company in less than 10 years you mm-hmm. can build valuation in less than 10 years but you cannot build a company less than 10 years and over this 10 years period there will be very tough moments 
um, and I want to see early on that the founders are um, uh, are prepared for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are those are the two things that I would specifically point out. Um, obviously, the the latter one is quite might be a bit hard to spot because it's relatively easy to spot when you have. Um, the ability to build the relationship with the founders over a certain amount of time. But if you need to make a decision over the course of a week or two, it's very hard to do it. Although I still argue that this is possible when you just look into their financials and look into certain decisions reflected in the numbers that they have been doing. Mm-hmm. Um, on the, um, let's say, what, what prevents me, and again, this is very, very uh, personal, I would say when I have a, when, when I listen to a speech mm-hmm. uh, or a pitch from the founder, and then I go back and do my work, if I come up with the understanding that the that certain facts or um, or certain numbers are being to some extent manipulated, i.e., mm-hmm. not precisely that they lie about them, but they represent the information in one or the other extent. That gets me very nervous because then I projected forward on how and what they will tell me as a shareholder if I'm a shareholder in the business, and uh, uh, and uh, uh, this is very it makes me you know very challenged. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I would like to point out is that I I really do believe in the in the fact that for a certain founder there is a certain investor and vice versa, and one can be a great investor but just not fit for a given founder. Mm-hmm. And so finding this synergy between the founder and the investor, where the founder understands that he trusts the investor, is, and I'm talking not about the firm, I'm talking about a specific person that the founder will be working in. Mm-hmm. And vice versa, the investor understands and have a clear picture of how he or she can help the founder. Mm-hmm. This is where the partnership should be made. And there can be, again, awesome founders that I just say, guys, I just don't feel that I can contribute. I I can create additional value for you. There are better people for that. And so finding the synergy is extremely important. And again, um, uh, thinking about it rather than being driven by, I don't know, hype or something else is, I believe, very important. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And for founders listening um, who want to raise funding potentially from RTP Global, what is the best way to get your attention to reach out to you? Is it through a warm intro or should they just try to reach out on LinkedIn? What's the best way to get in touch with you? Look, warm intros are are awesome uh, Mm -hmm. and they're the best source of uh, introduction through either our partners or through our partners. Companies we work with, this has always been the case that would push something very high on the radar. But look, ultimately, we also invest heavily in technology. Uh, We started this project investing in sizably in our technology platform to help us source the companies and understand their traction two years back. And it's, it's, it's bearing some very good results. So I think that if your business is developing well on the, on the key metrics, uh, we will hopefully know it. And uh, mm-hmm. obviously we keep an eye on that and try to make sure that we proactively reach out to those as well. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Well, and this final question I wanted to ask you, Alex, uh, what is the um, uh, specific trend? What is, it, what is a specific trend or technology that you are currently most excited about? Is there something that is on top of your mind? Look, obviously everything that is happening around uh, Machine learning, AI is extremely interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think at the same time that there is too much noise in the system 
in a sense of the amount of funding, the amount of news completely outweighs the real value being created. But obviously, looking forward, it is hard to imagine, knowing that we know now that any company would not embrace certain technologies that will help them optimize the processes on the base of, let's call it broader AI. Mm-hmm. Can I identify a specific um, a specific niche or segment that we would focus on? No, we are very careful in trying to understand who is really delivering long-term sustainable value. But this is definitely the uh, the space that we keep looking with very open eyes and have, I believe, very good um, foundational knowledge given some of the connections that we have established with, uh, with the people in the industry. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, that actually brings me to a very, very last question spontaneously from my side. Uh, are you or RTTP, RTP Global already using AI or large language models in your daily work uh, in e- either like for sourcing deals or to communicate with founders? Um, is this something that you're already playing with or do you think it's um, too early? Um, we run a bunch of the projects on on this, ranging from the very basics ones on how do we, uh, to the extent possible, automate um, certain external communication or internal communication. Mm-hmm. At the same, making sure that there is always a personal element to it because we do believe that there needs to be one. Mm-hmm. And within our, uh, let's say, the effort that we are pushing into the uh, uh, within this uh, IT development, this is the size of a project over there because ultimately over the course of the last 20 years, we have been able to store so many information about the companies mm-hmm. that these technologies allow us to really segment it and to store it and digest it in a much more readable way, which will create a whole knowledge base uh, that is easily searchable and gives us success instantaneously to information that's now hidden in emails, PDFs, presentation, board decks, and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. This is not something that I think will be realized quickly, but this is something at the same time that we are working on uh, quite heavily now. Fair point. Okay, well, thank you so much, Alex, uh, for taking the time. It was very interesting. Um, I will definitely pay a closer look to Armenia from now on. And um, thank you for all the insights that you shared with us today and um, have a nice weekend. Yes, thank you very much, Thomas, for having me. Awesome. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.